0: Called her yeah. okay those were nathan barking. in case you couldn't figure that out what i started doing is uh, a lot of people comment about how they like to hear nathan and i guess if you weren't his mother and he wasn't interrupting your recording you might think it was cute too so i decided i'd record him when he makes noise and put it on the Bloopers slash chat reel. Fuck, I just made one. Blooper slash chat reel. So, I alluded to something in the first part of the episode there about this idea, and if you're in the, what I call the true crime community, which consists of podcasters, YouTube creators, and authors, and a lot of people who are just consume this stuff. They listen to it, watch it, and read it. This topic has been around for quite a while, and and I was curious. I really want to know your thoughts on it, and I'm not going to mention this person's name because I can't even remember it. You know how you're looking on YouTube and something will just pop up in this day this video, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna watch this just out of curiosity, and it was a female, and I don't know if she's a true crime person, I don't know what her thing is, but basically she was off on a rant about certain um, YouTube video true crime creators. I mean, she did mention them by name, which was rude, and she may have mentioned a couple, she did, she did mention a couple podcasts, and she was saying that these people were rude because they profited off of other people's misery, and everybody's like, And I had to get my two cents in. I left a comment. And, you know, I said, I'm a podcaster. And if you think people, like, especially me, if you think I'm making any money off of this, um, excuse me, (laughs) no, definitely not. And everybody's like, um, wait a minute, aren't you doing the same thing? You're sitting here making a YouTube video. And, you know, you're like, oh, thank you for subscribing and you know i hit so many subscribers downloads whatever and um like i think people like that are called hypocrites i think i did use that word when i commented and i hate hypocrites so there is a thing and i'm not gonna name any i'm not gonna call anybody up by name i think we all know that certain podcasts and the YouTube channels are more um, sensitive than others. There's a lot of podcasts, and like I said, I'm not going to name any. I think you know which ones I mean. I don't have to name names where it's like, and I'm paraphrasing. I'm just making this up as I get along. Oh, I'm an 18-year-old girl, and I'm going to make a podcast. I'm going to talk about true crime. I'm going to get drunk with my three friends. We're going to giggle, hee, 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 and get drunk and burp into the microphone, and say fuck every other word, just because we can, and we're going to talk about a, a true crime story, hee hee hee, and I'm going to tell my friends a story. Okay, have you all ever heard of a dude named Ted Bundy? No, no, tell us, hee hee he. burp, that's a, a, uh, an act, I think, or there's a word for that, maybe send up or something. Nobody ever not that I know of literally talks like that but I think you get my point in that there are podcasts that are more geared towards entertainment and it's it's more it seems like the hosts are enjoying if are enjoying themselves with this story or this material and it doesn't make me wonder who are who is your target audience like what are you trying to do do you podcasting is like I I don't know it it's like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I know I'm being kind of judgmental. But just because you have the tools or the ability to doesn't mean that what you put out is going to be any good. And I mean, there's such a thing as freedom, um, the First Amendment. I mean, it's, you know, anybody can put out any kind of, kind of material that they want. But in the subject of true crime, you you do run into the issue of because unless we're talking about some kind of victimless crime there are victims involved living and dead and i I think to be ethical it's a lot like journalism like there actually i think is a code of ethics involved and that has to do with respecting victims respecting your content and your audience being professional sources and that means not copying I think we know what podcast I'm talking about. Not even going to get into that. But there are a lot of issues involved with using resources that are um, reputable, ethical. I've heard podcasts that I could swear they're just sitting there literally reading off Wikipedia. And I'll look at Wikipedia maybe like for a little bit of information on stuff. But I would never use it as a main source and I always try to find as many sources as I can, and that will be reliable sources. And I have a couple rules about sources. I think I've mentioned these. If I hear something once, like one fact, unless I can verify it at least one other, one other place, I won't include it. I might be like, oh, that's interesting. Can I verify that somewhere else? If I can't, then I throw it out because it's I want all my information to be reputable, to be verifiable. And if you're going to accuse true crime creators as profiting off of other people's misery, then you have to ask yourself a number of questions. Well, you're listening to it or watching it, aren't you? So are you perpetuating that? Are you encouraging that? Why are you listening to it? Do you enjoy listening to stories about other people's misery? obviously we do or we wouldn't be here, but the question is why. I don't think we're sadists. Well, maybe some of us are, or some of you are, but well, you're not my target audience if you're a sadist. My target audience is people who are, um, I want to say more educated. They want to hear the whys. They're interested in psychology, in learning, in education. They're not interested in comedy or what I'm drinking and if I did talk about what I was drinking well first of all it would really be boring because I'm drinking coke but that's fine if you want to talk about wine or beer or whatever it is or what I'm I don't know other things that I do I do I used to mention that stuff just to be kind of I don't know friendly or whatever the word is but now I've started putting it all in chats so that you can take it or leave it. Like if, if you're like, I don't care what she does, what she eats or drinks or thinks or whatever, then you can just listen to the show, to the episode. If you do care, if you want to listen to me complain about stuff, because it's face that's usually what I do on these, um, then it's here for you. And somebody must like it because they are listened to, which I, I still can't believe that people actually listen to this, but anyway. What about true crime authors? Would anybody ever accuse Anne Rule of profiting off people's misery? I can't see that. She was, in case you don't know who Anne Rule is, first of all, um, where have you been? One of the greatest true crime authors, and unfortunately she's no longer with us. She used to be a police officer in Seattle, which is really cool, and then she Famously worked with Ted Bundy on a suicide hotline. So she wrote about it in a book called The Stranger Beside Me. And she's famous for a number of other books, really, really good books. She really would get into a story. She would tell all the sides, all the the victims and the perpetrators and the families and everybody's side with um, thought and care and empathy and wisdom And that's somebody who you could never say was making money from crime. She cared about victims. She wanted to tell their story. And there's a lot of other writers like that. Like my friend, Caitlin Rother. She's one of my favorite authors. I'm friends with her on Facebook. And you can tell when you're reading a true crime book, I've read hundreds in my life, that This person, this author, wants to bring the victim alive for us, or victims, and that's what I try to do. It's harder in a podcast, especially when you don't have access to, you can't interview these people, these victims' families, and the best I can do is, like I did with the sentencing hearings, provide you people talking, little snippets about what the victims were like. I hate when podcasts are like, and no fault of their own, sometimes we just don't know. Oh, they were, you know, he was such a nice guy, he'd give you the shirt off his back, he lit up the room when he walked in, and it just typical, generic about anybody. I mean, I want to know if I'm reading a book, or if I'm listening to a podcast, what kind of person was this, what did they like to do, what was their favorite songs or colors, what pets did they have, where did they work, you know, bring them to life so that I can appreciate them. And that's one of my biggest aims. The other one is what made the killer, killers, criminal, whatever kind it was, tick? Why did this happen? And I'm in a lot of true crime groups on Facebook, imagine that. And so many times the question comes up of, maybe you are too. Maybe you're in some of the same groups as I am. And maybe you've seen this question discussed like ad nauseum. Everybody always says, why do you like true crime? And again and again, it seems to be the same answer. I want to know why people do what they do. And that's my aim is to analyze or or try to analyze and discuss and think about why did this happen? I think if we educate ourselves about stuff like this, and I'm probably preaching to the choir, probably none of you, I hope not anyway, if you do knock it off right away, beat your kids, neglect your kids, drop them on their head, stuff that turns them as we've seen leads to violent behavior. I hope that from some cases we can learn some safety tips which a lot of people say they're interested in. I know a lot of, especially women, and I think we all know that women make up the majority of true crime consumers. And I do plan to do an episode on that someday. Like, why do we like true crime? Why is it mostly women? I'm fascinated by that. That's like a a purely psychological thing. There is isn't a lot of research on that. And there really are reasons why it's mostly women, but I'll get into that. And I, by the way, I don't target women with my shows. Dudes are welcome. Any genders, sexes, ethnicities, races, whatever you, religions, everybody's welcome in the classroom. I, like I said, I do kind of aim towards the more intelligent um, consumer, I guess is the word. So yeah, I, I do, I guess, have a niche in, in that way. But a lot of people who are consumers of true crime, who've read about it, Listen to the podcasts, seen the documentaries and such. By the way, if you're into documentaries, and I'm not so much a TV person, I don't know why, but I just not. Anyway, there's a free app called Tubi, T-U-B-I. They were talking about it on Facebook the other day. I got it two nights ago. I'm like, holy shit, documentaries and true crime shows, like a huge mungus amount of these. I couldn't believe it. And it's free. So I'm like adding to my list, like add, 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 add. And I do that. I do that with Netflix too. It's like, yeah, I want to see this and this and this. And then someday I'll watch it. I don't know. I'm I'm weird, of course. But the thing is that we learn from true crime. You know how Ted Bundy would go around with his arm in a fake cast and come up to somebody and say, hey, would you help me? Or um, what do you call them? Paul and Carla, you know, or the Bernardos in Canada, with their luring girls to the car, hey, can you, I'm lost, can you give me directions? I am like, literally, if a car pulls up to me and says, can you give me directions, and this has happened, I will get nowhere near that car. I will stand on my porch and yell the directions. Because, and maybe some of it is from having worked in law enforcement, you get this, air of suspicion that you're always kind of looking around you, like you're at the Mac machine and, you know, you're like, who's around me, who's, when you're driving, you're like, "Um, you know, is somebody too close? Is somebody following me? So I can't separate what comes from being in law enforcement to reading true crime. But you do become more aware of your situation, your surroundings. And this is definitely a good thing. My door is always locked. Always, I have the door open, the like front door, and the screen door is the one that's locked. I leave it open just for light, and for Nathan to look out and well, bark at everything he sees. But you see this all the time in books, and so, every but people are like, oh, "We didn't even used to lock their door here, around here." I'm like, "Who doesn't lock their door? Like, what are you doing? Who does that? Where's that a thing?" has that ever been a thing? I I don't know, but I've always locked my door. And my car, of course, it's well my car fortunately has a it's a Jeep, in case you wonder. Like as soon as you put the car put the ignition on, the doors automatically lock. And you don't have to worry about somebody hiding in the car because you know, as soon as you leave the car, you hit that little thing and it goes beep beep and everything's locked. You know, I hope we've learned stuff like if somebody knocks on your door and they're like, hi, I'm from the gas company. It's like, well, you know, make sure they have an ID, a badge. And most of them do nowadays, a tag with their picture and their name and such. And the uniform and the, the track or whatever it is, this says gas company. Otherwise, no, you're not coming in. You're not doing anything. No, because I am very distrustful of people and like i said i don't know if it's my nature it's from my career or it's from being involved reading about true crime since i was like 20 and that's that was a long time ago i hope that we learn especially as women because we are more likely to be the victims of murder rape abuse especially of the domestic sort how to see red flags in people especially men i don't mean to throw men under the bus but it's true, women are definitely more likely to be victimized, and I hope we've seen it enough to know when a partner can be, whether it's a husband, a boyfriend, whatever it is, can be potentially abusive or violent, and that's definitely a good thing. Or maybe you see that happening in somebody else. Maybe you see that in your friend or relative, and you say, um, hey, this dude that you're dating, uh there's a lot of red flags. There's a lot of signs there. Found an awful lot like some psychopath I just read about who killed his wife or or something. So, if you see something like that happening, speak up. If you see strange things, like um you know, so many of these so many people are like, oh, I don't want to get involved. Um a lot of people for whatever reason don't like to talk to the police or You know, they they see something going on and they're like, oh, I didn't see nothing. I ain't getting involved. Well, okay, but what if that was you? What if that was you literally being kidnapped, pulled into a car? All these people saw you, but nobody wanted to call 911 because they didn't want to get involved. How would you, how would that make you feel? Or maybe that happened to a friend or relative of yours who was killed. And you learned that there were people who heard them scream or saw something, or heard something, but they didn't want to get involved. This actually happened to me. It was nowhere near as dramatic, but to make a long story short, I was in Virginia at a motel, and this was like the cockroach inn. This was the shittiest, seediest motel I've ever been in. We were visiting my stepbrother. Me and my stepdaughter were there. This was like 10 years ago, and I was in this motel, and there was this couple next to me. And the walls were really thin and and I could tell it was a man and woman. They were yelling and they were like, blah, 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 yell. I'm like, oh shit, you know, I hate, hate this. And then I heard this big thud and my mind, because, you know, suspicious of everybody, immediately thinks it kind of sounds like maybe he shoved her into something. I mean, it didn't sound good to me. And I thought, should I do something? Should I call somebody? And I thought, you know what, if I don't. And it turns out she was killed or hurt. I'll never be able to live with myself. So I called the desk and I'm like, the couple next to me are fighting. And she's like, okay, I'll call the police. And I, not that I was nebbing or anything on purpose, but I might've looked out the people once to see what was going on. The cops came and they, you know, they're talking to them. And I think they made, whoever had the, the motel room, they made the other person leave. But it made me feel better because I thought, you know, that woman or the guy, who knows, could have been hurt, and I did something, and maybe I saved somebody from something, but yeah, if, help people out, don't get the ostrich thing, stick your head in the sand, which we know, I think we know that's a myth, they don't really do that, but you know what I mean, if you, if you see something, say something, if you, I don't even know if it's come up yet in this episode, because I'm recording before I finished recording the Chandler-Halderson case. But, well, in one instance, he goes around the neighborhood asking people if their doorbell camera caught. He's trying to see if he was caught, basically. And he's asking people, did you see anything? Did you see blah, blah, blah? And these people were very cooperative. One of the guys' door that he knocked on and asked this stuff was actually a retired cop and this dude actually recorded the conversation because he thought this was so fishy, this kind of behavior. And at least one of these people called the police and they said, this is just weird. These people haven't been seeing my neighbors. And their son just came by and asked if he could see my doorbell footage. And that just doesn't sound right. So good for those people. Good for everybody who stepped up and said, I saw this strange behavior you call the police and did something told somebody even if you make an anonymous call I could see not wanting to get involved I really can see not wanting to go to court and testify and such like and especially if you're testifying against maybe like a gang or mafia or I was going to say shady people but aren't they all really but I can really really understand that but usually there's like a tip line you can make an anonymous call You can say, I'm not giving my name or anything, but I just saw or heard such and such, and that, do that, that, that's, uh, that's fine, but do something, and I like to think that most of us who read about and listen to crime are, like, aware citizens in that way, that we are concerned about people. I don't know if you've ever heard, if I've ever mentioned my neighbors, they're real close to me. They're assholes. And they, <laughs> Sorry. but um... I don't think they listen to this. But I sure hope not. But they fight a lot. The houses are so close that I can literally hear what they're saying. But as much as I don't like them, if it really sounded to me like somebody was actually being hurt, of course I would call the police right away. Because as much as I don't like them, I don't want to see one of them hurt. And if they would... what are they going to do well they probably give me dirty looks or I don't know something but I guess I would just have to live with that yeah there's no muffin but I could not live with myself if one of them hurt each other over there or killed each other and I heard them fighting and I didn't do anything like I I'm real hard on myself I have a, a very punitive conscience that would literally drive me insane knowing that I could have done something and I think everybody knows me better I hope so but please don't ever think that I'm glorifying crime or criminals or disrespecting victims that's like my worst nightmare is saying something that somebody interprets as rude um, involving a victim or something that they said or did or I was somehow insensitive to a victim. That, that's like, as a podcaster, that's my own personal worst nightmare. And I also have in my intro, I hope you never, well, I don't think it's in my intro, but I hope you never think that I'm excusing behavior when I analyze and I say, I think I know why this person turned out that way because, you know, he was hit on the head, he did this and that, and blah, blah, blah. There's a huge difference between excuse and explain. And I'm never excusing. I'm all, I just explain. There are criminals who I do kind of feel sorry for, like they had a bad life. I think maybe they got too harsh of a sentence. They, um, something or other. And I mean, I'm human. I do have those types of feelings. I usually don't say or won't say. Some of them we've covered, we've talked about and... I try hard not to let on that I kind of feel sorry for the defendant, but I hope I don't. Maybe you can tell by some of the words I use or the things I say. I don't know, but I don't mean to. But like I said, I am human, and it's hard to take the human element out of this when you're when you're storytelling, when you're telling about somebody's life and a crime and and how it affects people and you start to investigate, and you see all of these things that you might not read from a Wikipedia article, or from a YouTube documentary, or whatever it is. If you get deep into a case, which I try to do, of course, as deep as I can, you see things that aren't readily apparent. And like, I, I do have a deeper understanding of why people do things because of my job, of course, and my education, and unfortunately, a lot of my understanding of mental illness is from having so many of them, and that really is a thing. Like, I, if, if you are mentally ill, like, everybody knows I'm bipolar, I don't think anybody wants to hear me talk about all my diagnoses But I think you get the point that I'm more sympathetic to people who are mentally ill and understand them better as far as what were they thinking? Why did they do this or that? I'm obviously very open about it and about being autistic. I've talked about that a number of times. And my feeling is, well, it's just the way I am. And if I can educate people or I can help reduce the stigma... Against this stuff which I can't believe in this day and age that we still have it's it's ridiculous to me that there's still a stigma against mental illness and autism but if I can do anything to educate people about this stuff then I'm all for it you know I do cater to a more mature educated audience so let me know in your, like, comments or emails or whatever. I'm really curious as to what you think about us, but by podcasters, YouTubers, et cetera, making money off of true crime. Do you think we do? Uh, I don't. I'll tell you that right now. And I put in a lot of work. This is like a job. This is like an actual job. <laughs> um, yeah, woof. And I know a lot, one of my favorite podcasts... Is Time Suck with Dan Cummins? He does actually make a lot of money. That's because he's a professional comedian. He has a professional studio. He's not like me sitting here in my den with my microphone and my laptop. But I'm a Patreon of his too. That's why I know this. All the money that he gets, he donates. Every month, it's a different cause. It's like veterans or like worthy causes. So you can definitely not say that he's making money off of it. And he doesn't just do crime. He does history and like conspiracies and weird stuff and always fascinating topics. He has a couple other podcasts too. But usually we don't, meaning content creators, YouTubers, etc. We don't make money. If we do, and I'm just supposing that we do or they do, It's usually to pay the bills for our craft or our art because with equipment and fees and everything. And I like to buy books. If I want to do a case and there's a book on it, I'll get it because usually there's more information in a book on on a case than any other information that's available on the Internet. So I'll always go for the book over everything else I have textbooks from well from college when I'm from college graduate school and a whole bunch of the ones i bought on profiling and and such and all kinds of books about serial killers criminology crime and anybody who looked at my bookcase who didn't know would think I'm either well a student or teacher of this stuff, or I'm studying to be a serial killer. And I think we know which one it is. Maybe you're some or maybe some of your bookshelves look like that too. I just started a thing on Instagram and I put out a thing. I don't know if you saw it. It said something like, is anybody interested in what I read? Like true crime or not? And I go out a whole lot of yeses. So I'm like, okay. So the last book I read, I took a picture of it and I Put it up and I said, okay, I just finished this book. It's my favorite author, who's John Sanford. So I'm going to do that from now on. We can talk about books. If you really liked a book or you want to recommend it or something, feel free to share. And I have a, a feeling a lot of us, meaning us that um, my target audience, that a lot of us like to read. And I have a feeling a lot of us like True Crime. Call me crazy, but it's just a guess. I like a lot of crime fiction, imagine that. I'm looking at my history, well, I have all these bookcases in here, I'm surrounded by hundreds of books, and I, I have two history bookshelves. One of them has fallen apart, it's like books like crooked and on the floor, and that's a big problem in here is because I, I tend to overload my bookshelves, and I have so many that I just haven't gotten to. and my pal of my tbr pal i hope everybody knows what that means to be read i don't even have a pal i have mountains i have a mountain in the bedroom i have a mountain in my kitchen i have so many in here they're not even organized they're just kind of on the bookshelves but i know most of the most of the time i know what i've read and what i haven't but i still keep buying new books it's crazy it's like I. I'll see something that sounds real good. It's like, oh, I have to have this like right now, right away, because I don't know if I'm afraid it's going to disappear. It's weird. And I think, I have a feeling I'm not the only one who does that. But anyway, um, this Halderson case is really time-consuming. It's, I like I said, I've done nothing but listen to this trial for I, I, the days and days. And it's going to be i would say at least two parts because i really want to cover it in detail and hopefully we can finish it in two but i don't know you know how i tend to drag things out but i hope you're enjoying it or i hope you're learning stuff and you know appreciate all the everything that that's well what i I hope that you appreciate is the as hor horribleness a word well i'm gonna make it one horribleness of this crime that how nice these people were and how shitty their son was and what he did it's it's hard to understand and this is a case where you can see how many victims there were the his girlfriend I feel so bad for well his ex-girlfriend now and all of the family and all of their friends these were popular people they weren't just like hermits in a cave. They had work friends and family, and they had all kinds of friends. They were friendly people, and they're missed by a lot of people. And just callous disregard is is so such a key phrase that he, well, he dumped the dad's torso on the girlfriend's mother's, girlfriends, I know, yeah, somebody's farm. And I don't even like... Somebody's, the neighbor's garbage blowing, being in my yard. Can you imagine some little asshole coming and dumping off his dad's torso in your yard? Rude. He's, he's amazing. He really is, this kid. This, well, he's not, he's 24 now. To me, he's a kid. But this dude is incredible. The, the level of assholishness. I know that's not, well, we already know I make my own words. Assholishness is definitely a word that, that I use, or assholish, um, because sometimes there just aren't any words that fit, and you have to make your own because it's the most fitting. And um, I'm going to wrap it up and go back to writing, always doing something. So I'll see you next week.